Kiss me quick, honey, can't stay long Hey there, I'm Joe Kendrick, welcoming you to the second episode of our two podcasts on American Aquarium. As we go deeper into our conversation with frontman B.J. Barham and spend some time with music artist and longtime American Aquarium fan Tyler Boone along the way. We'll get to more music from the new album Lamentations, like the song you're hearing now, Before the Dogwood Blooms. In the first episode of this series, you got to hear about how B.J. Barham turns uncomfortable conversations about the dark parts of Southern history into songs, about racial and class divides, how influential Tom Petty and Bruce Springsteen are to his music, and about how things stand for American Aquarium and in the music business more generally during the coronavirus pandemic. But we left a lot on the table, including much of my conversation with Tyler Boone, who has a new single out, and lots more from B.J. Barham, including producer Shooter Jennings as the band's Bigfoot, and more insight into the culture and politics of the South. All that and more on this episode of Southern Songs and Stories. Southern Songs and Stories is produced in partnership with Grassroots Radio, WNCW, and Osiris Media at OsirisPod.com and is available wherever you get your podcasts and at WNCW.org. One easy and helpful way to spread awareness of the artists featured here, their music, and the series is to subscribe to this podcast and give it a good rating and a comment on the platforms where you listen to your podcasts. This is Southern Songs and Stories, the music of the South, and the artists who make it. Fans for Racial Equity or Free is a community of fish and jam band fans that promote racial equity and respect for differences within the fish and greater jam band community and beyond. 
Free strives to make the community a more welcoming space for people of all races and ethnicities. Recent free activities included tabling inside fish shows, working with music venues to implement racial equity training for staff, hosting an all-day virtual retreat that included a public panel highlighting the experiences of fans of color in the fish community, and raising almost $5,000 for the racial justice organization Color of Change. Upcoming activities include mobilizing the community to support Black Lives Matter organizing and to advocate that venues and bands use their influence to enact changes around policing in communities that fans visit to see shows, building out intervention training for fans, and creating videos for fans to tell their stories. You can find out more about Fans for Racial Equity on their Facebook page, on Twitter, and Instagram, or by email at fans, that's P-H-A-N-S, for racial equity at gmail.com. When you're in L.A., is it obvious to everybody that you're from the South? Yeah, so I have like a like a record label now called uh, Artist Formula Record Group, which is part of like an artist services company. Um, and we do a lot of different things, like Spotify is like our biggest thing. And then we'll do YouTube and Instagram. We have all these cool programs and stuff. But, but anyway, what I'm saying is I get on phone calls like all the time. Uh, like I had a phone call right before this and I've had, there's like, there's one band we're working with. They're like a, I mean, everyone over there is pop. You know what I mean? This one guy on the phone was like, Hey man, are you from like, from Arkansas or something? I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, I'd prefer if you said I was from Charleston or, you know, from South Carolina. I don't know why Arkansas got put into it, but everyone always kind of, I guess I kind of have like a small accent sometimes and I don't even realize it. So yeah, for sure. Everyone's always like, you're not from here, are you? Or, you know, I always say, yes, ma'am, yes, sir, or, you know, it's just, it's definitely California, and I'm not in the South anymore, so it's funny. And traffic sucks. <laughs> I feel like maybe there might be a stigma, too, because people assume maybe that accent was with certain things, which it isn't, you know what I mean? Because there's amazing people in the South, but, um, but yeah, I feel like sometimes, too, I, I, when I lived in Nashville, it, my accent got way stronger, <laughs> so my roommate was from, like, Monroe, Georgia or something. And so he had a big accent, and so maybe it just kind of carried on. But, you know, I've, I've had a lot of people I hear just kind of, you know, I guess I think it's cute. That's Tyler Boone, who also has his own brand of bourbon, which is made in partnership with Striped Pig Distillery in his hometown of Charleston, South Carolina. B.J. Barham does not shy away from a debate, but he never enters one without knowing what the other side's viewpoint is all about. It's the lawyer in him. After all, he fully intended to go to law school when he was in college at NC State. In the first episode on American Aquarium, he spoke at length about his song A Better South and how it was the awkward conversation that every progressive Southerner has had in their family sometime or another. I went on to say that, as a lifelong Southerner, I knew well that kind of angst that can come with reconciling the legacy of the Civil War, both with being on the wrong side of it, but also being on the losing side. I also asked if he had witnessed any underlying prejudice against Southerners, and if he had ever felt that kind of chip on his shoulder when, like he had mentioned earlier, someone from Brooklyn wanted to tell him what is wrong about the South. Yeah, you know, I've been able to change my mindset throughout my life, but I have not been able to change the way I talk. Uh, I, I still have a very distinct Southern accent. Uh, so anytime I get above the D.C. area, it is very clear that I am a Southern person. And so a lot of people, um, and I, I use it to my advantage. A lot of people think when they go into a conversation with a Southern person that we're going to be ignorant, that we're going to be closed-minded, that we're going to be racist, misogynistic, bigoted hate mongers. And I like to come out of the gate and use that to my advantage because I am 
the only thing worse than being an ignorant Southerner is being an educated Southerner. You do not want to get into a conversation with an educated Southerner because we are uh, just as stubborn as the ignorant Southerners, but we also have facts to back up the reason we believe the things we believe. And I've had those conversations traveling the country. You know, the first thing somebody says, oh, you're from the South, you know, eh, eh. And I'm like, you haven't spent much time down there, have you? You know, uh, <laughs> I, your music is copying everything that built the South. Your food is copying everything that my grandmother cooks on Sunday. But for some reason, you're talking down to me because of the way I speak. Um, it's I, I had a chip on my shoulder growing up just because I was taught wrong. The, edu- the public school system in North Carolina failed me on the causes of the Civil War. Uh, and, 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 and what happened after the Civil War. Reconstruction was taught completely different than than how I've learned it in my 20s and 30s. You know, going back and actually reading uh, the history of Reconstruction, realizing that it wasn't a Democratic Republican thing. It was just every white person was racist. It's fairly biblical in a way, you know, the sins of the father passing down through the generations until there's a repentance. For sure. And it's, it's one of those things where my dad is not a bad person. My dad is not a hateful person. My dad was taught to hate certain people by my grandfather. And my grandfather was taught to hate certain people by his father. And then the the the, the grandfather before that, my great great grandfather, uh, you know, owned people. It's not that far removed. Um, you know, my family, um, if I'd have stuck around my hometown of Reedsville, I would have been a seventh generation tobacco farmer. And tobacco farmers in the South, you know, especially at a certain point, um, were using uh the labor. Um, of people that were bought and traded. Uh, and my family is 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 no different. Uh, and I can admit that. I can openly say that I am sorry uh, for the sins and transgressions of my family. But knowing that I'm doing something about it um, lets me sleep a little bit easier at night. Knowing that, I, that, that it ends with me, that kind of prejudice uh, and that racism uh, that, that, that is instilled in children at an early age in the South um, stops here. It stops with me. Um, and the only reason that I was able to get away from it is because I left my hometown. I traveled. Um, I got to see the hypocrisy and the things I was taught as a child. I got to see that that all of these stereotypes weren't true. And the only reason my parents and their parents and their parents believed them is because they never got out of their hometown to disprove them. Um, travel is is the is the number one way to kill uh, bigotry. <laughs> you know, travel the country and meet people. Uh, especially in my line of work where I'm meeting people from every walk of life, shaking hands and coming together for music, coming together in a unified spirit to celebrate one thing. Um, it disproved half the things I was taught as a child. And I, and I really do think that if you would just let racist Southern teenagers travel the world for a year, uh, they would come back not being as racist as they were when they left. Um, it also helps that I was able to go and get a secondary education. Um, a lot of the South, their education stops at, uh, especially when it comes to world education, stops at the 12th grade. They might go to trade school or community college to learn uh, something else. But, you know, I, I got to go to a four-year university uh, and, 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 and I majored in history and political science. And so I was really had to deal uh, with a lot of the miseducation I got as a Southern student um, head on. My freshman and sophomore year were some of the most eye-opening years because I got to see just how wrong uh, I was about all the things I believed in. And, uh, you know, I think it's important um, 
education. My, my, my parents, I don't know if they realized what they were going to do to me, but they, they always taught me that education was the key out of my hometown. And so when I left my hometown, not only did I get an education uh, book learning, uh, but I also got a world education that has, has made me a better human being and made me strive to be a better human being every day. Yeah, we have so many of the same intentions. We have so much in common, and we're going about it in completely different ways. And honestly, there's a ton of misinformation and disinformation going on, which makes coming to the table a lot harder nowadays with some of these conversations that you're having, because they tend to be one-sided, especially when the water gets really muddy with all of this misinformation and disinformation, especially, I think. Yeah, that's the that's the problem with today is is both sides are fueled with with kind of half facts or zero facts at all, and and I think that's a dangerous, dangerous, dangerous game to play. But you know, when when I sit down with somebody, you know, it's always a fun game to talk about what you have in common. And what people don't realize is, no matter who you're talking to, I bet you money, especially being a Southern North Carolina person. You're going to be able to talk about food. You're going to be able to talk about college football. You're going to be able to talk about so many other things that you have in common. But yeah, I might disagree with where you think tax allotment should go or your fiscal policy or, or whether or not the role you see religion playing in politics. But at the end of the day, we have way more in common than, than the media that either side wants to admit that we have in common. You know, the only way politicians get ahead in the world and the only way these media groups get ahead of the world is keeping us at each other's throat, keeping us divided. That's the, they win. You know, if they keep everyone again, split in half, there's no way one voice can emerge and, and, and take down the establishment. And, you know, they're winning right now. This is the, like, you know, I've only been on this earth for 36 years and this is the most, divisive I've ever seen our country. You know, you can't start a conversation or a discussion without it turning into an argument very quickly. Our name's been on that mailbox the last hundred years. We're the walking definition blood, sweat, and tears If you ask them who we are they'll tell you mean and surly We're the keepers of tradition that bright leaf and burly We get low down We get eyes of kite Lord, I wish I may Lord, I wish I might Be singing this song I was three years old Watching the men I thought were gods Turning green leaves into gold Now the fields are all empty Curing barns are growing cold All the while another cash crop Just begging to be sold Yeah, we got the infrastructure Lord knows we got the will but a solution to a problem doesn't pay that problem's bills. So they'll keep calling it illegal, keep 
pumping us with bills. Tell Roosevelt what the Bible Belt went and did to his new deal. Yeah, we get low down with eyes tight. Lord, I wish I may. Lord, I wish I might be singing this song when I hit the pearly gates. Greetings from Tobacco Town, USA. Greetings from Tobacco Town, USA. Be it paper, oil, coal, or steel. If the factory work ain't left yet, better dollar that it will. We redefine resilience, we'll make it somehow. But if God was gonna save us, he'd have done it by now. If your God was gonna save us, he'd have done it by now. So we get low down, we get eyes of tight. Lord, I wish I may, Lord, I wish I might be singing this song when I hit the pearly gates. Greetings from Tobacco Town, USA. Greetings from Tobacco Town, USA. Towards the end of our call, B.J. Barham mentioned his producer, Shooter Jennings, and I realized that I had skipped over that question in my notes after getting so deep into topics like Southern accents and worldviews. American Aquarium went through another lineup change just last year, with Shane Baker remaining as lead guitarist, while new drummer Ryan Van Fleet, bassist Alden Hedges, and pedal steel player Neil Jones came in and keyboard player Rhett Huffman was added, bringing the roster up to six members from five. Barham went on to describe how the original plan to take his new record in to record with a different producer in Memphis, Tennessee, fell through. It was the, you know, the classic cliche, you know, one door closes, one door opens, you know. Um, We could have never made this record with anybody other than Shooter. Shooter brought so much to the table as far as... I don't think I've ever had a, a producer believe as much as Shooter did. I've had friends who produced my records, and I've had people that dug the records. And and but Shooter was like a member of the band for ten days. You know, Shooter was so excited about the project, and and it was kind of a a, a, a unshakable excitement, which is which is exactly what you hear like like fantasy stories of working with producers. It's kind of like Bigfoot. Like I've never seen Bigfoot, but I've heard stories about Bigfoot and everyone wants to write articles about Bigfoot. The same thing as working about a producer who is just as excited about making the record as you are. Um, but, but you know, uh, Shooter's Bigfoot. Shooter's are Bigfoot, man. It was, we got in the studio and for 10 days, 
He was the seventh member of the band. He was there throwing ideas at the wall and, and, and taking chances with us. And it was exciting. It never got boring. Um, and there's a reason we were able to track most of that record uh, in four days. We got 10 songs done in four days and we spent the other four days, uh, you know, adding stuff like making weird noises into microphones, uh, seeing what, what was sonically what we could change. But the, the core of that, the, the drums, the bass, the electric guitar, the pedal steel guitar, the organ, the piano was all done in four days. And, and that is a testament to just how exciting of an environment Shooter created for us. Like he made it a, a creative's dream. Like there was no ego. There was no, uh, negativity. It was everybody who had an idea got their idea heard. We tried the idea. And if the idea worked, it stayed. If it didn't work, we tried to come up with something better. And there was this unlimited well of positivity and creativity. And it's just, I've never been in that situation in the studio before. Um, For listeners who aren't aware, the studio is an extremely expensive place to be. You're paying by the hour. You're paying the engineer who's sitting there turning the knobs by the hour. You're paying the producer by the hour. You're paying your band by the hour. So there is this kind of weight over the session of, okay, we need to get this done as soon as possible so it doesn't break the bank. We can stay under budget, blah, blah, blah. And nobody, that never crossed anybody's mind. The only thing we thought of the entire time, from the time we set up our gear to the time we broke it down, was this kind of beautiful oasis of creativity. And and that's a, a big testament to the kind of environment Shooter creates. Anybody on a wish list of who you'd like to work with? Oh, man, there's a lot. Um, obviously, Dave Cobb is the is the big Americana producer now, and he and he's doing this stuff out of RCA. Um, it, I would love to work with Dave one day. Um, you know, Mike Mogus out in Omaha. He did all those early Bright Eyes records, um, all that Saddle Creek stuff from the early 2000s. That was Mike Mogus produced right there in Omaha. Um, I would like to work with him one day. Sturgill. Uh, Simpson would be a great person to work with. He seems to be one of those guys, uh, that really has a foot in the rock world and a foot in the country world. Um, and that's kind of our wheelhouse. I would love to work with Sturgill one day. Um, surrounding, you know, I'm excited to work with somebody, um, that I'm a fan of and that also believes in the songs that I'm writing. Um, kind of that, um, that, um, you know, codependency of, you know, I dig you, you dig me, let's make something really cool. Um, those are the people that, you know, and, I, and I'm lucky, you know, 15 years in to be able to surround myself um, with that. You know, some people don't have an option of working with really great producers. And, and we're very fortunate to be at a level to where um, we get to really pick who we work with. So, yeah, those are my three. Those would be Dave Cobb, Mike Mogus, and Sturgill um, would be the three that I would really like to see myself making a record with before uh, my career comes to an end. Excellent. BJ Barham here on Southern Songs and Stories. I really appreciate you being on the show. Man, thanks a ton for having me.
Thanks for listening, and I hope you might tell a friend about us here at Southern Songs and Stories. You can subscribe to this series on your podcast platform of choice, and it helps even more when you give it a good rating and a review. Great ratings and reviews especially will make Southern Songs and Stories and the artists it profiles more visible to more people just like you. And it helps to spread awareness and make more people connected when you like and follow the show on our social media. You can find us on the Facebook page, Southern Songs and Stories, on Twitter, at South Scenes, and on Instagram, at South Stories. Southern Songs and Stories is part of the podcast lineup of both Public Radio, WNCW, and Osiris Media, with all of the Osiris shows available at OsirisPod.com. You can also hear new episodes of this podcast on Bluegrass Planet Radio at BluegrassPlanetRadio.com. Thanks to Rhonda Chalak and to Tyler Boone for being on this series. Our theme songs are by Joshua Ming. I'm your host and producer, Joe Kendrick, and this is Southern Songs and Stories, the music of the South and the artists who make it. <laughs>